Welcome to The Mental Podcast, the podcast of mentalhealthmedia.org, where we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective. I'm your host, Jesse Zuckman, and today's podcast is all about my personal protocol. Um, I manage um, my bipolar 2 disorder completely without pharmaceutical drugs um, at this point, and I have for a long time. Um, it's been, I think, three years. Um, I tried dozens of medications. They all made me worse. Um, and I'll get into my story a little bit, but before we get too much into that, um, just a disclaimer, nothing on this podcast is intended to be medical advice or medical care. Don't make any changes um, to your protocol based on anything you hear on this podcast or any of our media, any of our content over at mentalhealthmedia.org. What works for me is not going to work for somebody else. Something that works for me might make another person worse. So this is a brainstorm. If you've been stuck for a while and you want to see all the things that somebody does to get better, if your intention is to reduce your med load or not, um, if you just want to know what somebody does to manage and you're looking for new ideas, that's what this podcast is for. Um, I have a lot of friends that do manage their bipolar disorder, some of them um, without medication, um, very successfully, and none of us do really the same thing. Like We don't have the same protocol. So your protocol needs to be tailored to you with the consultation of your professional medical um, doctor or consultant or nurse practitioner or naturopath, whatever that person is for you, that professional, that professionally licensed person, that's the person that needs to guide you through this, figure this out with you. Um, it's definitely a very, very bad idea to uh, just copy somebody else's protocol and, uh, you know, cold turkey, whatever you're doing. There's a very, very good chance that you're going to get worse if you do that. Please don't do that. I don't want you to do that. That's not what. Uh, that's not why I make this content. If you do find the podcast valuable, please consider supporting us over at mentalhealthmedia.org, where you can make a tax-deductible contribution to the project. We're just getting off the ground, so we need all the support that we can get. If uh, if you like what well, if you like what we're doing and you want us to keep doing it, please contribute. Please share. Please subscribe to the podcast and our mailing lists and uh, contribute however you can. Um, we need the support just to keep going at this point. So a little bit about me, about my story. Um, I was a TV producer for about a decade before I got my bipolar 2 diagnosis. Um, I was flying all over the world. I was, you know, sleeping on airplanes. I was eating vegan, uh, junk, fast food garbage. I wasn't eating a lot of protein. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I was doing this kind of television. It was kind of like reality news doc television where, you know, you don't have a support of a big crew. You have, you know, just a couple of other people and you're going into oftentimes dangerous situations. I just finished um, directing um, episodes of the the first uh, TV series that Vice made um, that originally aired on MTV. And, uh, you know, we were doing dangerous things. We we're going into Moscow to 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 film with Russian mobsters who, you know, wanted to hurt us or at least threatened to hurt us. You know, we were in Ramallah in Palestine um, talking to uh, car thieves there. You know, dangerous stuff um, on top of working conditions where they didn't sleep a lot, on top of not getting a good diet, on top of not having any meditation or spiritual practice on top of not exercising. 
I was doing all of the wrong things that I needed to do to manage my bipolar disorder. It's funny looking back on it now because so much of what I do to take care of myself is kind of a polar opposite of my lifestyle back then, you know, almost 10 years ago now where I was just burning out. Um, but I found that really taking care of myself and finding the things that really help me, um, I am able to manage pretty darn well. I still have hypomanic episodes um, where I will stay up until five in the morning if, you know, if I'm on the internet and I get the, you know, I start researching something really exciting, uh, there's a good chance I still might be up in uh, at 5 a.m. Um, I still get, you know, anxiety and, and uh, you know, mood problems where I'm kind of wonky. I still have a sleep disorder. You know, I'm not a normal, quote-unquote, normal person with this protocol, but I am able to manage um, much better. I do feel better than I have in a very, very long time, if not ever. Um, and, you know, it is a different type of life. But And, and no, it's not like perfect, normal. I can't go to, you know, work a nine to five, five days a week and expect my symptoms not to flare up. But I can carve out the life that works for me and... I think it's pretty cool, and I think it's pretty good, and it's way better. Um, it is a way better life than when I was on multiple medications that all, you know, slowed me down, made me dumb, um, you know, elevated my lipids and my cholesterol, you know, just, it, it's way better than being in that terrible, terrible state that I was in, just zombified and sick. So, um, I like what I do. It's still, it's an ongoing process, um... But this is uh, this is my story, and this is how I figured out what I figured out. So um, so yeah, after I did that show for Vice, I was I directed a movie called Punk Juice on my own. That's on YouTube. You can check out. I direct, and then at the same time, I was directing uh, a documentary on a depressed musician, um, you know, and embedded with him and his brother. Um, I was you know. So that was, yeah, like three big projects just within six months that I was trying to get out the door. And that was way, way too much. So uh, long story short, I went to a psychiatrist. I got a bipolar 2 diagnosis that winter. Within a few months, I was on a dozen medications. I went on one med and got worse. So they put me on two meds and I got worse. I got put on three meds and I got worse. And the whole time, each time I would get worse when I go back to the doctor and say, oh yeah, I got this new med. It, with, we were hopeful that it was going to make me feel better and I got worse. They would say, well, your bipolar is just really, really bad. And it's just, you have this chronic condition and it's just raging and it's going to be so bad. And it's whatever it is, it's definitely not the side effects, but it was at least half of my condition was the side effects. Um, and after a while, I just got put on so many of these things, I was just zombified. I couldn't tell if I was sleeping or dreaming. I was so, you know, conked out. Um, you know, the only, you know, logic didn't totally make sense. The only thing that really made sense um, on television, I couldn't even watch TV shows or movies because I just couldn't tell what was happening. I was so drugged up. Um, the only thing that made sense was listening to Alan Watts lectures about, like, you know, time travel and like interdimensionally transporting meditation stuff, you know, just really far out spiritual stuff is the only thing my brain could handle. So take that for, for what it's worth. So after years and years on being on a whole bunch of meds and years and years 
of being disabled from the side effects of those meds. I knew something, if I was going to, you know, hang in there, I knew something had to change. Um, what I was doing was clearly not working. I was not getting better. I had tried what I thought was everything. Um, for a time, I thought I was out of options, and I don't know what it was, but just on some good days, I started doing some more research into new interventions, and I found that my doctors didn't know everything. I was sure that my doctors knew everything um, for a while, but after so many years of being sick, not getting better, my doctors assuring me I was doing everything there was to do, I would have a good day and I'd do a little bit of research and I would find new things. I would find, you know, studies on EMDR, exposure therapy, on nutrition, on fitness, on, you know, all uh, on, on things like curcumin, just... I started becoming aware of different, you know, kind of holistic treatments for mental illness that my doctors didn't know about. So um, I realized I needed a referral. Um, I found a, a group of research scientists that were publishing work out of Stanford that looked good. And I, I, I told my dad, I said, you know, the research scientists at Stanford, if anyone has a good referral, wouldn't you think these folks would? These these folks are at the forefront of science. Let's just give it a shot. Would you mind calling them? So I had my dad call these research scientists at Stanford on the phone, um, and I got a uh, referral to my current psychiatrist, who's one of the best in Seattle. Um, I worked with her for a year, getting my med load low, um, but still, she said, you know, there's something else going on, and she insisted that I go see a naturopath that she works with. Um, I went to go see that naturopath, who is Kim Selmer, who's um, my doctor here in Seattle. We interviewed her on the podcast um, as well, so you can check that out if you haven't heard it. Um, and I started working with Dr. Selmer, and slowly I started decreasing my med load even further. And slowly I started, um, you know, using nutrition and just different types of therapies for depression um, and other chronic illness issues that I was dealing with um, that my psychiatrist didn't know about because she's a psychiatrist and the body is a whole body. So I started getting treated for, uh, you know, this low-level Epstein-Barr virus. Um, and I started just trying different holistic things from, uh, you know, I'll get into the list, but, you know, meditation, fitness, all the things that, you know, Patients often get, you know, told about by their really annoying uncle or aunt that goes, oh, well, did you try yoga? Um, and they say it in a way that's like really annoying because it's kind of dismissive. And I know that they only read like this 500, skimmed a 500 word article on Huffington Post. And now they're prescribing it in this like really annoying uh, way to their family member. Um well, it, it turns out that some, a lot of that stuff worked, but not not in the way that your annoying family member like prescribes it without any knowledge. I kind of like this started this practice of playfully exploring things that made me feel good um, and things I knew that were good for you. You know, I wasn't like playfully exploring the benefits of eating a pint of ice cream. I was playfully exploring what can I do for exercise that I like. I don't like most exercise, I'll be honest with you. I hate running. Uh, I hate team sports. I hate basketball. I, I really don't like the gym, but I found kettlebells because um, it's a solo thing. I can just go to the park and lift heavy things and 
you know, it's kind of meditative, it's kind of like yoga, it's kind of rhythmic. Anyway, I'll get into all the things but uh, that I do, but my point is that the way that I started um, looking for things was not from this place of, I'm gonna look at a study, it says it helps a bunch of people, and if it doesn't work for me, fuck it, I'm gonna give up. I see a lot of folks doing that, right? Like I'll post on Twitter, um, something about running and how good running is for people. And, um, people will say, I tried running, running sucks. Now I'm not going to do any kind of running. And I get it. Like that's kind of the depression mindset is this like black and white binary off and on thinking things are good or things are bad. Um, that's just what depression does to our brains. So I get it. Um, but you know, that's a huge pitfall when looking at these, when you're treating depression um, or any mood disorder holistically. Everybody's thing is different. I have a million things. I'm going to go to into all of the things. And you can also look at my list over at mentalhealthmedia.org. There's an article um, with all of the things that I do. Just search for protocol or, you know, Jesse's protocol or whatever. Uh, you'll find it. It's There's not a lot of content on there right now. Um, so you'll find my article, but, um, but the, my, my point, my point is that it is a pitfall. It's a potential pitfall to go into thinking any holistic, uh, treatment or practice is a cure-all. I mean, that, that goes for meds too, right? Like there's no med that makes everybody feel better. Um, there is no, you know, one treatment. ECT doesn't make everybody feel better. TMS doesn't make any, everybody feel better. Ketamine might, but long-term, you know, isn't a solution for everybody. No, there is no silver bullet. And for a lot of these things, you know, they are tailored to specific things that people are dealing with. You know, if you have more of an inflammatory problem, curcumin is going to work for you more than if somebody has, you know, uh, is dealing with traumatic stress. Very often these things are linked, so I think it's good to try them on. Um, but my point, my way too long rambling point is that you, being rigid in this world doesn't work. Um, try things on, try things on for a month. Um, see, see where they take you. If that doesn't work, try something else. Um, that's really the approach that's worked for me. That's the approach that's worked for a lot of people that I know. And even in a psychiatrist's office, that's kind of the approach that you try a med, um, you, you know, you, if it works great, if it doesn't, you come off of it. It's just kind of the same thing when you're talking about, um, holistic interventions, not everything works for everybody. Um, and then once you find your thing, it's like, thank God I found that thing. And if I was like really rigid, I wouldn't have found that thing. So my, the, I, I spent way too long, um, uh, to say, um, simply, you know, hang in there, try things gently, don't be too rigid, not everything's going to work for everybody, just keep trying, there's so many things to try, something is, there's a good chance something is going to work for you, so I encourage you just to, like, be playful with it, and, uh, and, and, and just, and just, uh, have fun, if you can, it's hard to have fun when you're depressed, but that's kind of the mindset, just don't take it too seriously, just try things, if it works, great, if not, move on, um, with that, let's talk about my personal protocol. I'll go through each thing, tell you a little bit about it, and then uh, 
I'll tell you how I discovered it and just how it works for me. Okay, number one, transcendental meditation. Um, this one's huge for me. I meditate twice a day, every day, and I can really just describe it as a release valve for my anxiety. Um, it's not a cure-all for my anxiety, but I would say it reduces my anxiety by 50-60% in there. I know that if I'm having a bad day with my anxiety, I can bring that down from anxiety attack level to like just having a bad day level. And generally, if it's just having a bad day level, I can bring that down to feeling okay um, level. It is a time commitment. It's two times, twice a day. Um, but I super, super encourage people to try it. I found TM um, when I was living in Oakland. Somebody that lived in the apartment downstairs for me had a boyfriend who was a teacher in Oakland and this gentleman told me that he teaches in the inner city schools in Oakland like the poorest schools um, he teaches meditation so I looked up transcendental meditation and found that they have a program that puts meditation teachers you know into some of the most stressed out populations in America including um, homeless camps including um, prisons, including, you know, kids that live in poverty. Um, so I was always interested because it kind of had that social justice angle to it. Um, you know, I could tell that it came from a place of empathy. They were doing like actual charity work in a time when so many of these things that, you know, there, there's so many people trying to make, you know, a bunch of money, um, off everybody that have no scholarship program so it really it really uh struck my attention that they um that the david lynch foundation and the transcendental meditation folks were putting the time into helping poor people it meant a lot to me and i always put it kind of just kind of put it in the back burner on my head in my head and as as i was getting better and coming off of all the psych meds and i was well enough to get back into the world. It was the first thing that I did. And, um, and yeah, it helped immediately. You know, I couldn't like sit still at all my entire life. Um, for the first month, my brain was just rattling all of the things that I was just obsessively thinking about. And after about a month that calmed down and then I got like this new baseline after just letting out all that anxiety and stress, I had this like new baseline. Um, that's way better. That doesn't mean I don't freak out ever. It doesn't mean I don't have stress. It doesn't mean, you know, everything's perfect. But, uh, whoa, does it make a difference? Boy, does it make an impact. And the other cool thing about transcendental meditation is that if you're a patient and you're disabled and you're poor, you can apply for a scholarship. I received a very generous scholarship from the David Lynch Foundation um, that I am just so, so grateful for. As Part of the TM organization, there's kind of a sister organization called the David Lynch Foundation. Yes, the same David Lynch that did Twin Peaks and Eraserhead. He raises money to get uh, poor folks access uh, to meditation all over the world. So if you're a poor patient, you can get a very, very, very aggressive scholarship. I got a very aggressive scholarship, and it has helped me. This practice has helped me just so, so much. If you don't think you qualify um, for a scholarship, the the price of the class is about $1,000. And what you get for that is you get multiple one-on-one -on -one classes, you get group classes, and then they give you like built in for the rest of your life, a place to go to just remind you how to meditate. And 
you might say, well, why would I need that? Things come up, you know, and not everybody takes that easily to it. Um, you know, especially if you're dealing with a mental health thing, um, having a meditation teacher guide you, be there for you, offer structure for your learning can make a big difference. So I recommend looking into it really for, for whoever you are. Uh, made a big difference for me, something to look into. Number two, amino acid therapy. Um, you might know amino acids. Amino, amino acids are the building block of protein. Something that I am embarrassed to say that I didn't know until pretty recently is that we get um, all of our neurotransmitters from protein, right? So um, if you're eating a super low protein diet, if you're just eating carbs, um, your brain has no way to make serotonin, dopamine, you know, uh, nor, you know, adrenaline, norepinephrine, um, your body can't make these things if it doesn't have protein, uh, which is why number one, a part of amino acid therapy is to up your protein. Um, number two, when you isolate some of those amino acids, they have medicinal effects. And this is the only thing that I have tried that has reliably let me sleep is this amino acid therapy, this protocol that I have for sleep. I've tried so many meds for sleep. None of them work long-term. Um, benzodiazepines I've tried, you know, that stops working and is terrible for you long-term. Um, Benadryl, same thing. Trazodone, uh, yeah, that worked for a while, but then I'd have to get up and eat like a, like literally a pound of sugar. I, I mean, that's literally, literally, not figurative, literally. I would get up and just eat a spoonful of sugar on, uh, on uh, not trazodone, mirtazapine. Sorry, mirtazapine. Mirtazapine worked. Trazodone did not work at all. It just gave me a wicked headache. Um, so of all those things, and I've, tried, I've also tried a lot of the holistic things don't work at all. Hops, yada, yada, uh, lavender helps some people. None of that stuff worked for me. Amino acid therapy is the only way that I can figure out how to get to sleep. I've tried so many other things, but uh, the amino acids that specifically work for me for sleep is um, tryptophan, helps me fall asleep, and theanine helps my sleep architecture um, actually exist. Um, I can see on my Fitbit what my sleep looks like when I don't take theanine, and it's just, a brrr, just all... I'm awake, I'm deep sleep for two seconds, and then I'm REM, and then it's broken, and I wake up a million times. Theanine really helps me, and the tryptophan helps me, and I'm working on some other things, but this, these amino acids are just super, super, super strong. Um, I went to a sleep doctor here in Seattle who uh, basically said, I'm not gonna give you any, I'm not gonna prescribe you any sleep meds because they're gonna make you dumb. Um, literally what she said, uh, this is Israeli doctor over at Swedish hospital here. She said, I won't subscribe, subscribe you any, uh, sleep meds, uh, cause they're going to make you dumb. Uh, but try theanine. There are some studies that say it could help with sleep architecture. And it did. Um, and then I was talking to my psychiatrist when I was coming off of benzodiazepines and she prescribed glycine, um, and said, you know, there are some, for whatever reason, I didn't go into the science, but she, she prescribed that. Um, and then I looked up on my bookshelf and I saw Julia Ross's book, The Mood Cure. And I said, that's a book on amino acids that I never opened. And I don't even remember when I bought it. I bought it off of Amazon when I was just doing, you know, a lot of reading on, uh, on, you know, alternative health 
stuff and I never looked at it. I never gave it too much credibility, but after, you know, my doctors prescribing me amino acids, I opened the book and I found an entire protocol um, that really helped. So uh, the best thing about amino acid therapy is that it works fast. Unlike psych meds where you have to try them and be on them for, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks to see if they work. If you try some a substance like tyrosine, you'll know in, in 10 minutes if that's going to help your depression, 15 minutes, whatever it is. It's quick. Um, the same thing for sleep. Tryptophan, you know, it doesn't take that long uh, to know if that's going to help you sleep. So something worth uh, looking into. Definitely, you know, if I couldn't find amino acids for some reason, I don't know what I would do. I'm super grateful to Julia Ross and all of her work uh, with amino acids and her books and her research. I do not know what I would do without amino acids. Gangbusters for me. Number three, low-dose lithium. I should probably reorganize this list, but whatever. It's already written up. I already posted it. I don't do this anymore, but there are so many people that have low-dose lithium for bipolar 2 specifically that get huge benefits. Um... I have a link in the article you can check out, or you can just Google low-dose lithium. A lot of folks, you know, uh, do well with low-dose lithium, almost a nutritional lithium level. Um, that's way less than what you would pick up over at Walgreens, um, which, you know, supposedly is less toxic. I don't know a ton about it. I tried it for a while. It made me pee, but I feel like it should be in there because if you're, if you're going down... Uh, you know, this path, it's something worth exploring. Not great for me, but, you know, for a lot of folks, super, 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 super clutch. Number four, 12-step groups. Um, I used to think that 12-step groups were only for addicts or, you know, specifically, um, you know, people with either drug addiction or alcoholism. And I'll tell you, 12-step groups are for just about anyone. There are so many 12-step groups. And, um, for me, they have been super, super, super important. Number one, just for giving me a sense of camaraderie with other people, with other patients. Um, and number two, just giving me some actual life skills, um, uh, about how to take care of yourself. There's one 12 step group that people within the 12 step community kind of talk about it like it's 12 step grad school and that's called adult children of alcoholics. It's also called adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, um, which is a 12 step group for everybody that came from a dysfunctional family, which is like everybody and m almost all of the patients that I talk to uh, who have mood disorders have some kind of dysfunctional family. And in that 12-step group, it's not just about, you know, not drinking beer. It's actually not about that at all. You can totally drink beer and go to adult children of alcoholics. Um, they talk about, you know, codependency. They talk about taking care of yourself, taking care of your own needs first. Um, you know, they talk about what it's like growing up as a child in an unpredictable or abusive place or a neglectful place. Um... And then you're sitting around all of these adults that are all committed to showing up every week to figure out how to take care of themselves. Um, you know, it's kind of sad that we know, you know, from television about AA and NA. Like, I think there's probably five Netflix shows about those groups. But there's 
No shows on ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics. I've never seen a show on Al-Anon. Uh, Netflix Love does have the main character does go to Al-Anon after the char- the female character goes to s- the sex addicts um, one. But regardless, um, yeah, for two reasons, 12-step has been huge in my recovery. Number one, just figuring out how to take care of myself where there's like actually good lessons on like on self-care and not like bullshit hashtag self-care um i'm gonna do a bath bomb and eat you know a pint of ice cream um actual self-care you know talking about boundaries talking about fostering healthy relationships um putting yourself first when you need to put yourself first just basic stuff that kids who grow up in a really healthy environment have most of us, or at least a lot of us, just don't. Um, so yeah, 12 steps helped me huge, learning life skills, and also just having that camaraderie and having company, you know. A lot of us get sick, um, and if we have to stop working, we get really, really isolated. 12 step is a way to break out of that isolation and be around people who are just super empathic and empathetic to where you're, where, where you've been. Um, and just, again, having this sense of camaraderie around recovery is just so super important. Um, I tried, you know, the NAMI support groups. I went to a lot of them and I did not find any that were, were really a match for me. Um, I found them all personally. This is per, I, I know they work for some people and I'm thrilled about that for me personally, the ones that I was able to find everybody in the groups had like kind of given up and people were just not taking care of themselves not working, not trying to get better, just trying to manage. And sometimes that's all we can do, right? It's just manage. If you're having a bad week, all you could do is manage. But I really needed to be around people who really wanted to heal and were committed to healing and had a path towards that work. And I found that most people in ACA were also in therapy and were also like really working that program and then doing other things. So it's just great to be around that space. Um, I highly recommend um, uh, 12 step groups. Um, we talk about a little bit of our podcast coming up with Chaya Grossberg. Um, she's got some that she really likes as well, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of different, uh, 12 step programs out there. Um, if you're an addict, you're not an addict, go check it out. See if it's for you. For me, it was awesome. Number five, lifting weights. Um, and, I don't like lifting weights. I'll tell you that I don't like lifting weights and I don't like running and I don't like the gym. But for me, I found kettlebells and there was something about kettlebells, about the rhythmic nature of it. It's kind of like yoga. It's kind of like meditation. It's kind of like davening, you know, in the, in the Jewish tradition, the prayer where, you know, you're kind of getting in sync with God and you're praying and you kind of rock back and forth. For me, kettlebells is a little bit like that. It's kind of like, you know, a whirling dervish kind of meditation, but with weight. So it's heavy and you feel your body pumping. And for me, it just really helps me get in touch with my body. It helps me ground. I have problems with dissociation as well, where I get all in my head and then I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience a lot of the time. Kettlebells really help me with that. I really like kettlebells because I don't have to go to a gym. I can just pick up a kettlebell in my own house go out to the lawn, I can take my cat to the park and, uh, and, and, and just go work out in the park. I don't have to be around a bunch of people 
you know, who are, you know, on the meat market and trying to look all hot to each other and just do, I just, you don't have to be around that. So I had to find, I think the moral of the story here is like really find the physical thing that works for you. I've seen study after study after study that says it really doesn't matter what physical thing you do for depression. Um, just that you do something for me, it helps with my depression. Um, I will say that for me, when I'm, when I do have a really depressive episode, I don't work out. I can't work out and I have to give myself the space not to do that. Um, that's when I'm really bad. When I'm not that bad, I just say, I'm just going to do one set, just do 10 minutes, just do go through my exercises one time. And a lot of times that's all I do. And I give myself a break just to do those exercises and that's fine. And it, it doesn't so much like break my depression. I found in my experience, it helps me maintain my good days. So if I'm having a good day, I go work out. Um, and that boosts my dopamine. You can feel it. Sometimes I'm just like laughing and I'm happy after working out. Cause I just, I'm in touch with my body. I feel grounded. I feel like, like you're supposed to like, you feel, I mean, I don't know. I have, I have no doubt that there are people out there that feel like way better than I do every single day, just on their worst day. But for me, I feel after a good workout, I just feel the sense of relief that like, I'll be laughing to myself because it just, it's such a, you know, it's just such a relief. It's just like all this anxiety, all of this depression, all of this tension, all of this worry for a few hours just gets relieved after a big workout. Again, that said, a lot of, you know, and a lot of people are, are watching this saying, well, how do you work out in the middle of the depression? And I'll tell you from, even for me, even someone that I would say has some kind of mastery in managing their mental health condition, I don't, if I'm really feeling bad, I don't. But what it does do is it helps me keep having good days and it keeps me slipping back into depression less and less. Number six, um, number six is EMDR therapy. Um, EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. What a mouthful. EMDR is a trauma therapy that helps you process old bottled up emotions in layman's terms. That's how I'll say it. Oftentimes when we go through a traumatic experience, um, through childhood abuse or neglect or, you know, something that happened to us when we're adults, um, kind of by the nature of trauma, it's kind of confusing. You don't know what happened. There's a lot of emotion um, behind what happened and you get kind of stuck. Um, and you have all of this emotion, but like, you know, what happened is kind of confusing. So there's no way to get it out of, of your body. So EMDR is, a, is, is this therapy where um, there is a light bar and you look at this green light it goes like this and you follow it with your eyes and you think about something that upset you that week that's like you kind of had like a triggering psd ptsd kind of reaction um and you think about it and for me i go into like this psychedelic kind of experience where i see what happened in this three-dimensional um kind of scene and you know you process your emotions and sometimes that's not so unpleasant it's not so pleasant but for me personally, it's way better than, you know, a full day of depression. You kind of have these, sometimes you have an unpleasant feeling throughout it. Um, but afterwards you feel a whole lot better. For me, it was a game changer. For a lot of people, it's a game changer. Um, 
for a lot of us, uh, we know we had something really nasty happen to us in childhood. For me, I did not. Um, and it took a lot of doctors saying, I want you to keep looking at your childhood for me to, to really zero in on what did happen to me. Um, because what happened to me was ch more childhood neglect than childhood abuse. And for people that were neglected as children, at least for me, I covered it up. I made excuses for it. I said, I had the best childhood. I was left alone. I, my parents told me I didn't really need parenting. I was so, you know, I was an advanced kid. I didn't need all of that love and all of that wishy wash, uh, you know, hooey dooey, whatever. I didn't need affection. I didn't need uh, people taking care of me. I could take care of myself. Uh, and I used that kind of like a front to cover up the pain of not having what I needed growing up. Um, and I think that's really common. So I hear from a lot of people like EMDR sounds great, but I didn't have anything traumatic happen to me. And you know what? Maybe that's true. But I encourage you just to keep an open mind of what trauma is. Um, a, good, a, a good book, in my uh, opinion, is The Body Keeps the Score. Um, go read The Body Keeps the Score. See what you think. They get into it a little bit deeper um, than, than I could uh, here. EMDR has been super helpful for me. It's helped me, you know, put a lot of my emotions in the past that I had been, you know, things that happened to me or, or things that I did when I was like six or seven years old. Um, you know, I was a mean little kid for, for some of my life. And I thought I was a bad person, you know, and I never really dealt with that. I didn't even remember a lot of the stuff that happened. And I go in there and you figure stuff out and you go, oh God, that's what, oh, of course. I haven't thought about that in forever, but of course that's how it was. Number seven, a good naturopathic doctor. So a big part of my healing journey was realizing or figuring out that I had this chronic Epstein-Barr virus, which will cause enough havoc and inflammation in your body to probably have depression on, on, on its own. I mean, I had chronic mono for years if you have chronic mono, you get depressed. If you have mono, people know you don't feel good, you're depressed. So I don't know how long I've been dealing with that, but a good naturopathic doctor did all of the blood work that I needed to figure out something else was going on with me, right? Um, so I was, you know, I was going through all of the withdrawal from the medication. Maybe that caused the chronic mono because I wasn't sleeping. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. You know, I put this on my protocol because... Um, for me, I had to have a doctor that just really went through blood work rigorously to find the red flag. And I found a red flag, and then I got treatment for the red flag, and I started feeling better. For some folks, that could be a thyroid condition. For some folks, that could be not getting enough vitamin B. For some folks, that could be a vitamin D deficiency. For some folks, that could be, um, you know, finding some kind of genetic disease, um, you need someone to go through the screening with you, I think. I think everybody in the world needs this. But notice I put a good naturopathic doctor. Um, we talked to Kim Selmer on the podcast. If you're interested in finding a naturopath, check out um, that podcast because she goes into how to find a good naturopathic doctor. Find someone who has the right training. There are people out there that got a diploma at like some weekend seminar. You don't want that person. Um do you want someone that's gone to an accredited school in uh, an accredited um, state and uh, someone that knows what they're doing and can really look at your blood work 
uh, deeply. Some MDs who are like integrative MDs will do that. Um, that person is also probably a good, would work. Um, but you just, you need someone to do a rigorous screening of your nutrition, of, um, you know, uh, see if there's any infectious diseases like I had, so on and so forth. Just someone to keep digging because so often depression and mood disorders are a symptom and not a disease on themselves. Um, you know, some would argue, um, that depression is a symptom completely. And I think in a lot of cases, that's really true. So if you had like a low hanging fruit that was easy to fix, that would help your depression a whole bunch, or even just 10%, if you know, wouldn't you want to know if you needed B vitamins to feel 20% better, wouldn't that be worth knowing? If you needed vitamin D to feel all the way better, why wouldn't you do that? Why would you continue a path? you know, there's a really hard path without finding these low hanging fruit. So I encourage you to do that. If you're a person with any kind of chronic condition, not just mental health um, problems, it might turn out nothing, right? It's that's possible too. Um, but you know, the worst that's going to come out of it is that you're going to get like a, uh, a consult on, on your diet and maybe how to tweak that a little bit. Maybe that'll make a difference. You don't, you don't know. We have come to number eight, and that is a therapy cat. This is my treatment plan right here. His name is Basho, and um, he's a very special boy. He was bred um, by Shantae Burris at Scantily Clad Sphinx, and uh, she does work specifically for therapy cats. So you can see this is not a normal cat. He is bred to be just about as chill as possible. Um, I can hold him in my arms like this for a long time and he's just gonna be there for his dad. Right, bud? Yes. Um, and this is like one of the most important things for me because I'm alone a lot. I had to move, when I got sick, I had to move away from my friends and a lot of the family that I was close with and a lot of times I'm just alone. And, uh, but with this guy, I'm not alone with his little purry. And you just see how sweet he is. So. Um, I got this special cat, and we did an interview with Shantae Burris that's going to be on the podcast soon, um, all about therapy animals. You don't need to have a, a super special cat like I have, who's this Sphinx um, therapy cat, but uh, it's cool. It's cool. It's a cool option. If you can do it, it's a cool option. Um, if it's not an option, you know, um, I just can't stress how important it is to have something else to take care of who's also, like, there for you. Um, so if you're in a place where you're well enough to, you know, open a can of cat food and, and do all the things, um, for a cat or a dog, um, needs the basic things, um, it could be really, really helpful because you have someone to take care of and then you have someone to take care of you a little bit, right, bud? You're just going to fall asleep? Get a good cat. Um, so that's number eight, therapy cat, Basho the cat on Instagram, Basho cat, follow him. Anything you want to say, bud? Just purrs. Just purrs. Number nine, socializing. Socializing is crucial for my health. I know that if I've gone a few days without socializing, it's something I need to prioritize. I put 12-step as, uh, as a key thing. 12-step is one way I can socialize, but whatever it is, um, we know that isolating makes people with chronic illnesses of all stripes way, way worse. You know, when we don't feel well, we have this instinct to stay home, to stay isolated, to lock the world away. Um, 
but we know that that just makes things so much worse. So like fitness, not there's no one size fits all anything for fitness. Same thing with socializing. For me, at my worst, I would just go to the movies to just sit around other people, to feel other people's energy and to hear people laughing. That was so, so super critical for me. So, you know, if 12 step isn't for you, um, doing something social, maybe that's just like hanging out in the library and talking to the librarian, you know, if, if, if bars aren't your thing, um, you know, whatever, whatever it is that works for you, I encourage you to find that and put it in as part of your treatment plan. Um, you know, there's no one size fits all approach to mental health, but one, there are some universals and one universal that you need other people and you can't do this by yourself and you just need friends of some kind, you know, maybe that's therapy, right? Maybe that's part of your socialization, but you need something even beyond that, whatever it is. Um, maybe that's a hiking group. Maybe that's a, a hockey meetup. Maybe that's a, a knitting class. Maybe that's a chess club. Maybe it's a book club. Um, Whatever it is, it just got to be something. Something's got to be in there um, for you to be around other people. Um, humans are not designed to live in isolation. When we, you know, evolutionarily, evolutionarily speaking, a lone human is a dead human. And I think our, our bodies react to that isolation in that same way. You know, when we were hunter-gatherers for the majority of, of our evolution, one person who was outside of the pack, if there was one person who was alone, if there was one person that was exiled, they had no way to survive. And I think on like a cellular level and a psychological level, we know that. Um, it is extra, extra stressful to be isolated. It is extra, extra stressful to be isolated. So please don't take that lightly. Um, for some people, it's going to be such a clutch thing just finding something to do number 10 eating unprocessed foods often everybody that i work with knows that if i don't eat i get super super cranky it's kind of like what is that mars that twix commercials at twix the hangry whatever that that uh, candy commercial is where they talk about hangry and there's a commercial and someone's really upset that is real and if you have a serious mental illness or even a moderate mood disorder you know, your glucose levels can be everything in how you feel that day. Um, and most of us in America eat a super high carby, refined carb diet where you are just saturating your blood with glucose and your pancreas is just working super, super hard to manage that enormous amount of glucose. Um, so your mood and your glucose is going like this all day. So what I do to stabilize that is I eat unprocessed foods. I eat foods that my body is processing. If I'm eating carbs, I'm eating vegetables. I eat enough protein. Um, whatever diet you like, I personally think the Mediterranean diet is the safest bet. I, in my own very personal opinion as a patient and not a doctor, I don't think you want to be you know, rolling dice when it comes to diet. I was vegan for 16 years. A lot of my friends are still vegan. Um, they send me articles. And I got to say, from my own observations, so many of the articles they send me, I look into the studies that they are saying that veganism is good for brain health and longevity. 
Uh, the studies are not studying veganism. There's actually very few studies on veganism, especially for brain health. Um, they send me studies on low, lower protein diets, lower than the standard American fare. Um, half of the studies, I don't know, maybe more than that. Recently, every time one of my vegan friends sends me an article on how great vegan diets are according to a new study and I look deeper into it, it's actually a Mediterranean diet study. So um, if you don't want to do that work and you don't want to really dig, I say start with a Mediterranean diet. If you got to do the vegan thing, just make sure you don't go junk food vegan and you're getting enough protein um, and you're getting enough like different types of protein. That's what I would say. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever be vegan again, you know, sometime in the future, if there's more studies on veganism and brain health and exactly how to do that, I would consider it. Um, but regardless, eating unprocessed foods, eating unprocessed foods often has been crucial for me. Um, you know, I don't get that kind of hangry. I just started, I've been doing intermittent fasting for two months now. And I think that has stabilized my glucose even more because now, right now it is 3.13. I haven't eaten yet and I feel fine. I feel good. Um, and that is so rare. It used to be that, you know, it used to be that I wouldn't eat and I would be angry in the morning. I'd want to, I would be angry. I would want to, I don't even want to tell you what I would want to do. Cause I was a crank, like the crankiest guy in the room. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's my little rant on food and where I am personally thinking about it. Okay. Last one. Number 11. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're doing holistic therapy is like, this is one of those things where it's like, there are things that are very personal for each person. And then there are some absolute things. And as far as I know, in my Patient, non-doctor opinion, making sleep an absolute priority is critical for folks with bipolar disorder. If I didn't make sleep an absolute priority, uh, bipolar would be much more disabling to my life. Um, because I do have days where I get hypomanic for whatever reason it, it is, right? Like maybe I just, maybe there's a new, uh, uh, something new. So like I have a new friend in town. I have a friend coming to town. That'll keep me up all night, making me excited. Maybe, uh, maybe I have, um, uh, an event coming up. Maybe I found there's some new news, um, that I'm interested in. Maybe, uh, you know, a game trailer for a video game I'm interested in just dropped and, uh, all like, you know, I'm, I just, I'll stay up all night researching, thinking about it, what, preparing, whatever I can do. I get so excited about stuff and then I'll stay up all night. And then if I don't sleep in the next day that like, I haven't been able to get to sleep on an evening after, uh, you know, I've stayed up all night. If I wake up and try to do a day on like four hours of sleep, well, guess what happens? I get even more excited and then I do the same thing again. Um, and then I get ramped up and then I'll just stop sleeping and eventually I will crash. That's no good. Um, so what I have to do is well, after I have a hypomanic night of not sleeping, I just, I need to sleep in. I need to cancel my morning appointments. Um, I just need to say, Hey, look, I'm in the danger zone here. I got to shut it down. I got to sleep. So, um, instead of being like on the sidelines for weeks, I'm on the sidelines for a morning or maybe a day of just taking it easy. And, um, that is just so super crucial. Um, so yes, here we are at the end of the video. We've got 
Number one, transcendental meditation. Number two, amino acid therapy. Number three, low-dose lithium. Not for me, but works so well. You might want to check it out. 12-step groups, lifting weights, EMDR, finding a good naturopathic doctor, Bashel the Therapy Cat, which I'm sure you've heard on the podcast here, um, socializing, eating unprocessed foods often, making sleep an absolute priority. Some other things I've been thinking about lately, um, number one, turmeric. I take that kind of preventively, and I ran out of it uh, last week, and I had bad anxiety for a few days, so... I think that might be more critical than I've thought about. Um, Also, staying drama-free on the internet, not criticizing people on the internet, just trying to have a good social media presence and not playing the same blame game, anger game, outrage game that everybody else is on the internet, just trying to have a good time with my friends and trying to like post things that help people. That helps. I'm thinking about this stuff all the time. So uh, if you're someone on this journey, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Zookman, at Z-O-O-K-M-A-N-N. Tell me what works for you. I'm looking for ideas for uh, subjects to cover on the podcast um, and experts to invite to talk about those things. So if you have like a holistic thing, um, whatever that is, you know, that could be anything from video games to you know, uh, to a certain type of meditation, to mindfulness, whatever. Let me know what works for you or also what you want to know about. Because um, I, I, with my own journey, um, I just know what works for me and what I've tried. I know everybody has their own journey. And on this platform, I want to share people's experiences as much as possible um, so we can all be seen, so we can all be heard, so we can all learn from each other. Um and uh, and like that um again i just want to double up this is not an anti-meds video at all meds did not work for me i'm not shy about that um i did not have a, a total normal reaction to meds i had a really extreme reaction to meds there are a lot of people on the internet that are gonna try to take this video and turn it into meds good holistic bad i'm not interested in having that conversation I think it's a valid conversation. There are very, very smart people having that debate and that conversation. But what I'm interested in is giving patients all of the options in uncovering all the things that work for me. I just found a lot of robust things that can work with or without meds. It's not about meds or not meds on this platform. Um, there are great folks you can you can talk to. You can go check out Mad in America. They're going to talk about this all day. You can... Uh, Tune into Kelly Brogan. She's going to want to talk about this all day. Peter Bregan has a podcast. Um, you know, he'll talk about psychiatry, meds, no meds, all day. Um, you know, there are a lot of mainstream podcasts where they just talk about meds as one of the things that you have to do. Um, you know, this podcast isn't about that. This podcast and this platform, mentalhealthmedia.org, is about all of the things that you can do that aren't that, you know, in talking about meds, we, we spend so much time talking about meds that sometimes we don't talk about all of the other things. And there are so many other things at work that I want a channel. I want a platform that just lets us talk about all of those things. Cause there are so many, so many of them work. So many of them have been tested in academic institutions. There are studies and studies and studies on all kinds of stuff from from turmeric 
to different types of meditation, mindfulness, transcendental meditation, um, to exercise. I mean, there's so much, but all they get is like this 500 word article in Huffington Post and they disappear. Well, patient to patient, I want to spend some time talking about all those other things because there's nowhere on the internet where we just sit down as patients and talk to each other and talk to doctors, clinicians, and research scientists um, and talk about what works for us. That isn't just, you know, very, you know, one type of talk therapy and, and medication. There's just so many more options. If you do find this conversation valuable, please head over to mentalhealthmedia.org where you can make a tax deductible contribution um, to our channel. We're trying to get off the ground. We need all the help we can get. Um, if you've got a couple of extra bucks, we do not have a couple of extra bucks over here. This is a nonprofit project that I am bootstrapping and I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make feasible. So if you like what you hear, please let me know uh, by supporting us so we can keep making this stuff. I've got a lot of great plans. I want to turn this into a film. I want to turn this into a podcast that keeps going. I want to keep making videos. I want to talk to patients. I want to talk to research scientists about all of the things in mental health that help us um, heal that most people just don't know about. And there are so many things. There's so much work to do. But in order to do that, I need your support. So please consider supporting us. Um, please consider sharing this video. Please consider leaving us a, a good review. And uh, all of that will help us keep going. Thanks for tuning into uh, the podcast this week. As always, don't make any changes to your treatment plan based on any content on the podcast or mental health media. This podcast is not medical treatment. It is not medical advice. It is not medical care. You have to talk to your licensed medical practitioner before you make any changes. This isn't medical advice, and I say that so sincerely. It's not just a disclaimer. Don't, don't do it. You got to talk to your doctor. A special thanks to Patrick Mohan and Tamara Broadhead who helped bring you the show. The show wouldn't have happened without them. So thank you, thank you, thank you guys. You are the best. Uh, much love to you. Um, until next week, you can follow me over on Twitter. I'm at Zookman, at Z-O-O-K-M-A-N-N. -N. I'm posting all week articles on brain science, on my own personal journey, retweeting, the best patients on Twitter and their journeys. And with that said, thanks so much for the love and the support. I will see you next week. Zeigesund.